Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, welcome to another edition of Dairy Stream. Today, we're going to go out on the internet. Now, we're going to talk about the role that online sales are playing for dairy, not only now, but into the future. And we certainly uh, are, I think, pretty timely on this situation since uh, we want to talk about e-commerce companies and their businesses and how dairy really fits into that. And uh, today, we're going to talk about a business model that allows companies and individuals to buy and sell things over the internet. And our focus specifically Specifically, is going to be on the top company in this space, and that is Amazon Fresh. Uh, today, our experts that are going to give us some really good insights in this are Paul Zeminski. He is the Executive Vice President of Global Innovations and Partnerships at Dairy Management Incorporated. And also, we have Bo Hayden. He's the Vice President of Insights, Sales, and Trust at Dairy Management, Inc. And they're going to discuss uh, DMI's relationship with Amazon Fresh and the future of dairy sales. And as we always do during our dairy stream, we really have two separate focuses. The first one, uh, before we take our break, will be the relationship uh, dairy currently has with Amazon Fresh. So, Paul, I'll start with you. I think a lot of people realize that online grocery shopping uh, has been on the rise, but obviously COVID-19 accelerated that. So can you share some of the statistics you might have on this growing trend? Yeah, you think of prior to the pandemic occurring, you had less than 25% of consumers shopping for groceries on the online space. But when COVID hit, you had more than 55% of the consumers start to purchase uh, groceries online. And, and, you know, when we say online, it can be click and collect where they order at their local uh, store, they pick it up at, at their store, or they have it delivered through places like Instacart, DoorDash, et cetera. And, it, and you know, Amazon is a player in it. But, you know, traditional old school players like Walmart to Kroger to Albertsons, uh, depending on where you're at in your country, you know, it could be Hy-Vee, they all in, entered the fray. And some were more advanced than others in terms of technology and their partnerships. But, uh, you know, when COVID hit, you saw more than 50% of consumers shifted to playing in the space. And why it's important to dairy, when you think about the, the space we command in the store, you know, you've got over 200 linear feet in the dairy aisle, you know, from cheese to yogurt to milk. You even have a deli with this big presence. When you go online, you know, if they're ordering on their phone, you've got a three by six inch phone. You, you go, you're on your computer, right? It's about 11 by eight inch uh, screen or, you know, at max, maybe a 27 inch uh, big uh, screen you're sitting on, shopping on. And then all that space is for sale online. So unlike a, a grocery store, when you're walking down, you've got this beautiful, beautiful presence of dairy online. You know, you, you got to scroll. You first, you have to scroll and find the dairy section. You don't just see all this product. Secondly, online, it's all for sale. I, I tell people sometimes it's like the Wild West. And so you'll see a lot of startups if they're well-funded. You know, you see it, whether it's in the plant beverage side or just emerging companies, they'll try to buy the space up. So it's just a different transaction, different environment. Like uh, when the pandemic hit again, one out of every two consumers experienced that selling space. Well, thanks, Paul. I think it's a pretty good explanation of exactly where dairy sits when you talk about now you know, online sales and the online space. But what about from your perspective, Bo? You know, how is dairy positioning itself or how really is it performing in the online space? 
you know, Derry, I think it is an extremely bright spot within this online space, whether it is, as Paul mentioned, the three separate models from a brick and mortar with click and collect with a pure player like our Amazon Fresh partners or like your last mile providers, which could be Instacart, DoorDash, Peapod and the likes. Um, when asked about how we are performing, really, I'd like to zoom in, you know, just a little bit, but really start at a 50,000 foot view. And as Paul mentioned, as consumer behavior has shifted with the COVID-19 pandemic, it is anticipated moving forward that a roughly one in five dollars that is spent within grocery will be spent within the online platform. And it will perform very well there, as Paul mentioned, with a pay-to-play model that exists just to be showing up and be relevant within this particular channel. Now, at the same time frame, by 2025, we're anticipating that roughly one in three trips will be executed through this online or digital space. Now, this is a very, very quick acceleration. You know, going back to Paul's point, one and two finally experienced this channel, whether it was forced or they chose to, it is just a new channel. And, you know, as we are, are looking at the impact of COVID-19, the encouraging part I want everyone to know is that e-commerce baskets are roughly four times larger than those traditional trips into a brick and mortar retailer. Really? And those that are engaging in this type of online shopping spend roughly, I'll call it 36% more than in that traditional brick and mortar retailer space as well. Now, when we zoom in and double click into dairy in particular, those baskets that people are filling up digitally and adding dairy to, they have 75% more dollars and 83% more units for the retailer than when they do not have dairy. So dairy is an extremely bright spot within this online space for these retailers in particular. Now, this behavior is also being exhibited by consumers by, you know, driving not only the sales of units and dollars in dairy, but we're also seeing that e-commerce departments, when we break them down, dairy is the second largest within the walls of these retailers. And we're seeing cheese, yogurt, and milk rising to the top as the top three subcategories of dairy. So an extremely positive, positive story we have going on right now for dairy within this online space. Yeah, so dissecting the comments you just shared, Bo, when we look at growth opportunities, I would think they look pretty positive for the dairy industry. They do, they do. The, I think the, the runway is very, very long, but we also have to accelerate our adoption as processors, brands, and as the industry to playing within this digital space. And by that, I mean that there are some real key tenets and fundamentals that we have to get right to, to, to really jettison ourselves forward and ride this positive wave you know, as a silver lining out of, out of a bleak moment in our history. Well, I can go off script just for a second then. I mean, what are some of these avenues that they, they should be traveling if they do want to see this growth? Yeah, so really when we zoom in, uh, you know, I'll call it for six differences that we really need to look at. One is just getting on the shelf. There are some retailers that are leveraging the third-party providers that we aren't seeing necessarily the full gamut of assortment available from dairy. So we need to not only do an audit of the retailers that we are currently playing with to ensure that we have the breadth and the depth of our, of our products and, and our assortment available for consumers to purchase, but for those that don't have the assortment, that we have that story now to tell that, guess what? We will drive more dollars and more units through your business by adding us to your online platform. Secondarily, though, when we are talking about, you know, as Paul mentioned in our, you know, going in from shopping at 12 to, to 50 foot run in a physical space, now we're transitioning to a digital space and it's getting smaller and smaller as we kind of transition from desktop to tablet to, 
to mobile phones, the shopping of the aisles is different. The way people are gathering information is different. If we think about the traditional retail space, when we go into a physical set, as marketers and as category management people, we would look at you know, what does our product and our assortment look like from 12 feet away, from four feet away, and then from one foot away? So are we designing to delight that consumer? I think for us, one of our biggest position uh, statements that we can make to to the processors, brands, and to, to the industry itself is that we do need to start to be able to highlight and bring ourselves up based on whether we're landing on a category page. So how are we breaking through um, if somebody searches just milk? Are we delisting um, or, or conquesting and trying to block out those alternative beverages from showing up? And then when we move into our product display pages, are we, and that's, that, that's where we click all the way down and you see one single item, just, just for everybody's reference, are we fully blowing out all of the, the opportunity spaces on this page to not only share what are the benefits, what are the uh, price points. What does the product look like? How are we engaging from a lifestyle perspective? Are we telling our story from a dairy vantage point? There's there's a lot of opportunity that we're seeing from the, the low hanging fruit, if we'll call it that, that that might be the first step where either brands or processors or, or us as the industry might look to attack. Uh, one, one build on that, just to give you an example, when you think about two categories, you go in and look at milk at retail. We have a 90 volume share at retail and a space share is about 80 share. You know, when you go to online, private label commands so much at retail, the private label, they're not, they may put a couple of SKUs when you're shopping online, but if you go into a store, you may see, you know, 60 facings. You only see one facing Mm -hmm. online. So the facing shift is dramatic when you go online. And so that you need, uh, the other piece is as you go online, a lot of the brands, they're so used to an immediate return on investment and financial model that they can do it at traditional grocery. When you go online, you know, you have to pay to play and it may be a longer term return on investment. You know, you need to invest now to have success in the future. And, and it's kind of uh, the wild west, or so there's a bunch of new formats to reach the consumer. Not everything's gonna pay back, but if you don't play, others are investing in that space and will take that share space from you. A brand has to be willing to invest to Bo's point, to be present today, to have success in the future. Because if you're not investing today, others are gonna invest and you, you know it's much harder to acquire your space in the future online. So it's almost like a startup mentality in that space. Paul, just to build on your first point, we look at in-store physical shelf space and we're just looking at the dairy aisle. Milk generally represents about 10% of that space. Like that's including your yogurts, your sour creams, butters, so on and so forth. When we get into that digital space, milk's only representing 3%. So that space is a lot more valuable to capture. And to Paul's second point, we can't be afraid to spend because the ROI might be negative or zero for, for the first you know, year you know, depending on the timing and how fast we can spend ultimately the flywheel. Good points by both of you gentlemen. And again, you're listening to the voices of Paul Zeminski is the executive vice president of global innovation partnerships at Dairy Management Incorporated and Bo Hayden, vice president of insights, sales and trust for Dairy Management Incorporated. And uh, again, it's a different world, obviously, when we're talking about online space compared to the retail brick and mortar space we normally see. And one of the big players, of course, when we're talking about being online as Amazon Fresh. And I do want to get into that and first 
ask you, Paul, to give some comments on this, because obviously the National Checkoff DMI has served as a valuable resource to Amazon. Can you share for the farmers and their general public that's listening to uh, today's podcast some of the questions or items they raised when it came to dairy products and dairy farming? Sure. I'm going to start with products. I'm going to just give you 30 seconds on background on Amazon. When you think about Amazon, prior to their 2017 acquisition of Whole Foods, they were a very small player in, in dairy and, and alcohol, and it was really dry foods, you know, dry packaged foods that right, people yeah. could order in bulk, bulk online, right? Amazon gave them knowledge of the food and beverage space and helped them start pilot different types of grocery formats. You may have heard of Amazon Go. You know, they've mm-hmm. got Amazon Grocery, Amazon Fresh. They've got different platforms they've tested. You know, for the future, they're talking about fresh and grocery kind of being the big uh, growth platforms for them. And so, you know, the Amazon is unique, unlike a traditional grocer who, uh, you know, they, the people who grow up in food and beverage, Amazon is a tech company first. You know, they started in books, they migrated into clothing. You know, I, I just read it, they're the largest clothing provider in the U.S. now. Correct. So when yeah. you think about the scale that they have, right, they, they understand tech. And so the people who come in to manage their food and beverage business have come from much more non-traditional backgrounds, like Amazon web hosting services, or one of the buyers came from the vacuum background. So very little grocery experience. So, you know, the people who grew up in the food and beverage space understand the power of dairy. And these Amazon buyers, they didn't have the facts. They didn't understand the power of dairy. So first and foremost, we started with fundamentals, showing them like the household penetration of milk and cheese and yogurt, you know, that we're in over 90% of, of houses in the U.S. Number two, we debunked a lot of the myths. You know, you, if you see the media, you think dairy per capita is declining. In fact, mm-hmm. we showed them that per capita is growing. We showed showed them 80% of the dairy categories are growing, both volume and dollar sales everywhere. So it's, the dairy category is healthy. Then we showed them the size of the category. People don't realize when you, when you think about the size of the category, <clears throat> dairy is bigger than snacking category. It's bigger than carpeting and soft drinks category. It's bigger than the bakery aisle. And then you start to, like Bo said, you start to show what dairy does in a basket. When dairy products are in the basket, consumers uh, spend 33 to $36 more. When you think about the value for Amazon, that helps pay for all the shipping. You know, they offer free shipping, boom. And so right then and there, and these the first conversations we had with them are about products. We showed them the value of putting a dairy in a basket and promoting dairy because it enabled them to hit a lot of their cost challenges and, and cost metrics to do that. But, but also it showed that we were unbiased. We, were, we, we came in with fact-based selling, talking about the facts around the category. You know, it wasn't any myth and hy- hypothetical assumptions. You know, we weren't trying to hide behind, you know, we, we, you know, we don't denigrate plant-based, but plant-based always talks about their percent growth. Right. We come in with the absolute dollars and show here's the dollars, here's the volume, here's the, here's the real facts about dairy. You know, it's, it's in 90% plus of households and it moves significant volume of consumers for you. And it's a way to, and so they put dairy front and center in a lot of their promotions because they realize it can help them hit their, their sales targets. And then when it comes to your second question around farming, we were very proactive in our approach. So rather than speaking for the farmers, we actually brought farmers in. Uh, in our first meeting, we brought Charles Krause, who's a farmer from Minnesota. In our second meeting, um, we brought in Daphne Holtzman, a farmer from Wisconsin, to, to you know speak to their family's approach to farming, to make it real, 
to bring Amazon closer to the farm, to, to talk to everything from what the farmer does to the community, how they treat the animals with amazing care, how they do amazing things for the environment. You, you can see that the energy in the room, um, having the farmer front and center active in, in, in the conversation. So that, that's a, every time we have these big meetings with Amazon, you know, we're, our goal is to bring in farmers of all different sizes from across the country you know, are in their supply chain, it can really tell them about we're, we're, we're farming um, and, and the family and the community and what we're doing uh, for society. No, I think that was a great strategy on your part. And just to follow up that a little a little bit from Amazon's perspective, did it make a difference to them to the, the realize, you know, how these products are being produced and who these producers are? Did that, you know, again, help them in deciding just how strong they were going to go into dairy? Yeah, if, if, if you know, Amazon Fresh is still growing nationally, but when you really go into their website and, and start to drill down to the dairy products, they built into their website a lot of great tool kits for brands to utilize to do the storytelling behind the, the brand, where the product comes from. You know, it enables us, you know, the brands to do the backstory around the farm, you know, to bring the farm to life, you know, for those, like, I'll call it vertically integrated co-op brands, like I can mm -hmm. do that all the way, take it right back, or any of the DFA could take it back to the farm. You know, you see, if you go into Fairlife, you see they've taken it all the way back to the farm. That's what I mean by a lot of the regional brands, I've seen Till and McCabot. So working with them to, to help inform, you know, we also share the consumer insights of what consumers are looking for and, and then how dairy can, um, and, and Amazon can pair dairy to meet what consumers are looking for and build that trust in dairy as well uh, from our, our perspective. <laughs> And getting back to your relationship with Amazon Fresh, uh, you know, we talk a bit about business strategy gaps. Uh, either one of you can answer this. Did you observe any? And if so, you know, how did you kind of work with Amazon Fresh to deal with those? I'll, I'll start and I'll let Bo finish. One of the first things we, we learned right away was the shopping experience. There's a, a, a strong opportunity to improve consumer engagement and shopping experience. We call it a consumer decision tree. You know, we talk about what the consumer thought process is when they go and buy dairy. You know, it's okay. I'm, am I going in? I've, uh, in my mind, of, of when you think about, I used to manage the craft strategies business. You know, they come in and they, they say, okay, first I'm looking for a certain type of shred. I'm, I'm going to make pizza, so a pizza shred, or I'm going to make mm -hmm. an Italian, so I'm looking for an Italian blend, right? So we work with Amazon to follow what we call the consumer decision tree process. Is it flavor? Is it brand? Is it size, cuts, et cetera? And we did that across multiple dairy categories like milk and, and cheese and cream cheese, et cetera, to re better reflect and help the consumer shop. But we were actually in the meeting. We were talking about how they shop uh, flavored and chocolate milk in the promotional windows. And then the actual first meeting we had with Amazon, they, we were talking about how important it is chocolate milk is in back to school. You know, and you see this big lift and they actually in the meeting, they added a chocolate milk promotion to their back to school um, event to, in order to take advantage of that. Again, we talked about when milk's in the basket, they spend thirty six dollars more. So it was a, a valuable thing for them just to put the examples about the shopping experience side of that. And I think it's extremely timely because we actually just got done with a meeting with Amazon Fresh and their team, um, specifically their marketing team. So what kind of promotions and activations are they going to run? And we do these leading up into the next quarter. So this would be for Q3. So your July, August, September. So encapsulating July 4th and Labor Day and tailgating with back to school and back to football kind of season. 
how do we make snacks more extra or how do we add them quickly to the basket? But generally, you know, to, to Paul's point, we do start that category. We tell the story of, of what subcategories of dairy are really popping during these quarters that we might be able to either highlight promotionally or that we need to continue to drive the core itself. And by core, you know, I'm talking cheese and milk, those, those lion's share of large, large multi-billion dollar categories. So when we're meeting with these, uh, with this marketing team, we really bring a cross-functional approach from DMI, leveraging not only our communications team, but some analysts um, from an analytical work. We, we scour what is happening on Google um, from a search trend perspective during these quarters. We, we look at Instagram and we, we check out uh, Pinterest and what are ideas. And then we see what can we highlight to make dairy the hero of whether it's a recipe that's, uh, you know, a queso dip or how do we bring string cheese back. And we tease up these ideas and we start to gain a lot of traction for forward moving action. And by that, I mean, you know, we're, we're in discussions today uh, with them moving forward of how do we make, call it a, a space for hosting. So artisan cheese is huge in Q4. Um, we, we see a real, real pop, especially around the holidays and entertaining time periods. Well, we were able to bring an activation to them last year that, that actually gave birth to a retail shop within a shop. And it, and it really highlighted artisan cheese, but then they were able to tie into their hard goods or their Amazon.com business, bringing in the, the cheese boards and the jam knives and other products and ancillary uh, adjacencies that typically Amazon Fresh would not be leveraging. So we're, we're, again, allowing dairy to be the hero for Amazon Fresh to drive bigger baskets. It's an, it's an extremely successful uh, model, and we have we have all the support from the leadership team to keep chasing down these opportunities. And, and for me, it's just awesome, and it's energizing consistently. In one way, Bill, why that's important to those people, <clears throat> Amazon Fresh is, is is still in startup mode. You know, they'll say in Amazon Grocery, they may say there's 20 physical stores total, and not and not even that max. But we they have 115 million Amazon Prime users. So th- this could get dairy over with 115 million prime users being promoted with those cheese boards or, and, and et cetera. So it's, it's a way to cross merchandise and get dairy to reach other consumers on a much broader scale. And, and, the, and another piece we did, which the value we bring is, uh, you know, just for the, the folks who aren't as close to the business, we, we call it there's, there's category captains. And sometimes plant-based comes in and they're, they're category captains and they try to increase their assortment and really limit sometimes our assortment of what we, what they're, what they're carried. And we, again, we go into the fact-based selling approach and we, we, we went very deep into the geographies Amazon plays and showed them the uniqueness of products that they, they need to carry and consider. When you think about, you know, in New York city, you've got a lot of Italian cheeses. You go down in Florida, Southern California, you've got Hispanic types of cheeses coming in. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got different size cuts, right, and different flavor profiles. And so we we went very deep in the geographies they played in and talked about not just your high velocity items, but things, the, the breadth of assortment that you'd see if you walk a store to see the, you know, the, when you think about the, whether it's the deli, some of the unique items that you can get in the localization piece. And so we helped them say, if you want to play and win in grocery and, and grow the category for us, it, it's not just about the top movers. But it's also those those unique skews, you know, like uh, uh, George and the pimento cheese, right, and things like that. Right. So, 
you know, that was another big thing our team did is help bring an independent approach because we're, we're unbiased. They, they love us because we're brand agnostic. We don't represent any brand. A brand always comes in and pushes brand, brand, brand first. We push category and we help our goal is to drive the category and grow the category for farmers. And so we're, we, we are unbiased agnostic player to try to show them, hey, these are growth, like, like Bo said, these are growing flavors to carry. Cuts, assortments, trends. But there's, uh, there's also the core items you have to carry. And then also the seasonal items like buttermilk. You have to be prepared, but here's the usages and here's the pairings. And so you can see here, we're trying to help consult and advise on things to carry and, and when to promote it. Some excellent insights. Again, Paul Zeminski, Executive Vice President of Global Innovation Partnerships at Dairy Management, Inc. And also Bo Hayden, Vice President of Insights, Sales and Trust Dairy Management, Incorporated. We thank them both for sharing this first part of Dairy Stream with us, which we kind of labeled as Dairy's relationship with Amazon Fresh. And also to give you a, kind of a background and a status report on where online sales are for dairy. And I think after giving just a quick uh, summation of all the insights that were shared, uh, you can see that DMI has done an excellent job in educating Amazon on today's consumers behavior and how uh, the different world of shopping online for dairy is making a big difference in having them understand uh, those different dairy categories. In the next segment, we're going to talk about future of dairy sales online. Will they continue to rise or will more people go back to brick and mortar now that COVID is starting to be in our rearview mirror? We'll talk about all that as we continue on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin exists to be a tireless advocate, marketer, and promoter for Wisconsin dairy farmers and to drive demand for Wisconsin dairy products. The organization represents Wisconsin farm families and works to increase the sale and consumption of Wisconsin milk and dairy products, as well as build trust in dairy farmers and the industry. Organizational initiatives include generating national publicity, managing digital advertising, and driving sales, distribution, and trial through retail and food service promotions. Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin also supports in-school education about the benefits of dairy and funding for the Center for Dairy Research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. For more information and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit wisconsindairy.org. Well, thanks again for joining us on Dairy Stream. I'm your host, Mike Austin. Of course, Dairy Stream is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. And our conversation today has been talking about growing dairy sales online. In particular, we've been talking about Amazon Fresh. And our guests have been Paul Zeminski. He is the Executive Vice President of Global Innovation Partnership at Dairy Management Incorporated, and Bo Hayden, Vice President of Insights, Sales, and Trust for Dairy Management Incorporated. And I'm going to start with you, Paul. I want to go back to the statement about, you know, COVID-19 and how that really brought a boom uh, to people now purchasing groceries online. From your perspective, do you feel customers are going to go back to the grocery store or because of their experience and what's happened online that that will continue to grow? And does that bring, you know, some opportunities or maybe even some challenges for the dairy industry? I think uh, to use a word that you hear a lot uh, to put it in the perspective is on the channel experience where, you know, I think depending on the consumer needs state, it will determine how and when, you know, that, you know, if it's during the week and mom and dad are hurried, mm-hmm. you know, when, when she, if she's driving home from work, she can use that technology, click and collect and she can swing by and someone can just throw it in their trunk. 
you know, we're seeing that technology being used with our partnership with Domino's. They call it car side delivery, right? You just pull up your car, you pop the trunk and they put the pizza in there. Correct. So, so you're going to see technology stick in ways to make the experience quicker, easier, but you, you'll still think, you know, on the weekends, you know, the markets as we're seeing open up, consumers like to go and shop and experience and, and hunt the store, but there's also going to be the need states for speed and fast. And, and, and so you're, you'll see the combination and, and that's, and what you're seeing though, is the grocery stores are looking at the, from their perspective, what they learn. So a lot of these grocery stores are building new concepts and changing their format to, they call grocery juice format, where they think they can be not just a grocery store, but a restaurant for tonight. And, and deliver the restaurant experience. Because if you're doing click and collect, you could stop by and not just click and collect your groceries to make something. You can click and collect dinner for tonight. You know, and so you're going to see these, you know, they call them, whether it's a ghost kitchen where they make it in the back room, but you can click and pick up your pizza, pick up it, you know, Asian food, pick up, you know, Mexican, you know, whatever that food is for the day on top of, the traditional grocery experience. So you're, you're going to see merging of models. And then, you know, I, you'll still see delivery play out, but it, you know, those, a lot of those delivery guys still haven't made any money, whether it's Uber Eats or DoorDash. Yeah. At some point, they're, right, they're going to have to make some money. And so I, I still think you're going to see continued mergers in the space, whether a, a Walmart or, or a Amazon will grab a, um, via acquisition like a DoorDash. Mm-hmm. That, because you think about that, lift, that can open up a fast penetration or an Instacart to stock tip. I, my gut would be, you know, they're even, um, but I think some of those guys will come in there and buy, buy players to enable them to continue winning in that virtual space. So you'll, you'll see consumers start to go back, but I think you'll see this advent of technology and experiential thing take place. And, and, and then, uh, you know, for us and from a brand and a category perspective, it's going to be a lot of, I'll call it sampling, sampling of what's the best way to reach the consumer. What's the best way to be relevant with the consumer to deliver everything from creative content to the storytelling about what we do to keep our category and our products relevant with the consumer? So, Paul, just to follow up on that, and maybe, Bo, you can comment as well. I mean, so then what are, are you and what does the dairy industry need to do with those two different venues now of selling dairy products to make sure that they still get all the opportunities that are still top of mind when it comes to shopping, be it at the grocery store or online? When you look at what the industry and, and the brands need to do, is we have to be very engaging at, at those points of contact for the consumer. You know, and those points of contacts, I, I was telling some folks, it's kind of like uh, when you're going online, when you're when the consumer is going to make those shop purchasing uh, decisions and starting to uh, make those final purchase, you know, placing the clicking buy now, we, we've got to play there. We've got to play there with the right message and, and storytelling to seal the deal to make sure dairy pops. You know, we're not losing that uh, again because it's it's there's going to be that even if it's 30 to 40 percent of the consumers who stay and start purchasing online, it's a big part of the, the category is going to be active there. So we, we've got to make sure we're front and center at, at these places. And there's a lot of brands that are active and or I'll call it the, that are the you know, whether it's a Google like Bo said earlier, or you know you, you, you can go buy naming rights, you can go buy 
you know, different types of search terms. You can buy visual placement, but we have to be, we have to think of ourselves to be placed and active in that digital space, just like we are in the old circular world of a Sunday ad or a Thursday ad stream. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the, the new players that are out there, these emerging brands in the, in the plant-based space, they're well-funded from private equity. They've got billions of dollars to spend, and they're doing it. They're, they, they grew up from the tech world. They're funded by the tech guys. The tech guys are pushing them to do that. And so we, we can't take for granted you know, a lot of these categories are dairy. We've let become private label. The retailers run the categories. Milk's about 65% private label. If we think that they're going to push all their own brands, you know, the, the rest of the category, that 35% of milk brands are going to have to invest in e-commerce. And then you look at cheese. We've got a massive, you know, great products and great things in cheese, but it's, it's very fragmented. You know, you start to get into the deli cheeses, right? And they haven't had to spend a lot of money to stand out, at their traditional grocery to maintain, as both talked about, these seasonal events where we need the brands to invest there. And it's going to be an invest. It's going to lose your money probably the first two years, but you have to stand out or you're just going to lose presence there. So there's going to be a lot of investment needed to maintain presence, momentum as these consumers are trying out these new formats. And Bo, just to move forward with this then, from your perspective, I mean, what key marketing tools do you see for dairy if they want to ensure that the industry is well positioned, you know, for long-term success in dairy sales? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, to tie on to kind of what Paul had said and leading back to the answer for this is the consumer journey to the product, it used to be extremely linear. We used to either, to, to Paul's point, get a Sunday circular, we'd hit the store on a Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever it was, do our pantry load, and then we'd come home. Not a ton of marketing being done to you and not a ton of touch points throughout the day. Now, today, the consumer uh, path to purchase or that consumer journey is extremely circular. It can go zigzag. It can bounce up. It can bounce down, left, right, center. There's multiple touch points that not only categories can touch you, the retailers can touch you, the brands can touch you, even products that don't even really are relevant for you can, can somehow reach out and touch you, whether if it's by email or search engine optimization. So if you, you know, you go on Google, you have paid placements and, and, and paid advertising online that continues to follow you around. So say you start a search on Amazon, you go to, you know, Bloomberg or Yahoo finance. And all of a sudden that same product that you just searched for, or that same category somehow magically appears there you're being incepted again and trying to be dragged back by either the retailer or by the brand to get to your product. Now for, for dairy, you know, we, we were very, very fortunate. I'll call it from the pandemic. And again, just a, a strong silver lining for us is there were barriers that existed that we didn't really do much to overcome. And by that, I mean, delivery fees were there, the fear of spoilage, people needed the product. And so they went ahead and leapt forward without us as, as the category, really honestly innovating across either how we were merchandising ourselves online, our packaging, or, or, or just the, the, the product itself. So we were very fortunate in that. Now that the wave has come, we've got the penetration numbers up, we've got the acceptance of the model in and of itself online, whether it's through the three separate type of, uh, of players, those traditional brick and mortars with click and collect, your pure players with Amazon Fresh or, or Fresh Direct, and with your last mile providers of Instacarts and the like, there's a lot of, a lot of touch points that we can take. Now, as consumers, 
you know, the main features that we always worry about from e-commerce is one, is it easy to use? Can I take it from my desktop um, or from my, you know, I saw something on Hulu, can I get it onto my phone? So how, how mobile compatible are we? Mm-hmm. Now, from a retailer perspective, what promotions are available? Can we do clippable coupons and whatnot? Now, when, when we actually are zooming in on what can we as the category do from either a brand viewpoint, a processor viewpoint, a state and region, or a, or a national checkoff, there is a ton of opportunities for us to spend and pay to play, as Paul, Paul has kind of touched on, on, on numerous times um, earlier. We can do paid search. We can do digital placements. We have digital coupons. Those can be targeted or non-targeted. We can target those that actually have purchased alternative beverages or those that are lapsed users of our own categories. So, you know, hey, I, I bought 2% milk a month ago. I haven't been back. Now I can target you with a promotion or a digital coupon. There's paid advertising both on the retailer site and off-site. So, again, that's that example of, of me searching for milk on Amazon and then that's showing up on Yahoo Finance at the same time. We have the opportunity, and, and DMI has a lot of resources that I know a lot of our SRs do as well. We have recipes and custom landing pages that we can build out. An exciting time, as I said, a lot of state and regions and the, the national checkoff programs, we're leaning in and testing and learning with these retailers in multiple, multiple ways. Um, Kroger, for instance, has a, a Kroger Precision marketing team. We've been able to link up with those folks <laughs> do some activations in the back half of the year of 2020, especially around uh, the Q4 timeframe. Um, we were able to leverage some PPC advertising. So that's pay per click advertising. So you, you are there on the landing page, but you actually don't get charged unless somebody clicks it. So people can see it, but we're not getting charged unless somebody is, is engaged with that actual service uh, served up ad and clicks on it. Um, now how, you know, what I will say is, you know, with the foresight that, the leadership team at DMI um, was bringing through during the COVID time period, we were able to set up what I'll call 101, 202s, and now we're into 303s, educating not only our state and regions, but our national office on basically the e-commerce landscape, and then also how to activate from a marketing perspective or a storytelling vehicle. To Paul's point, storytelling, you know, it can be you know, mouth to mouth, person to person. It can be digitally done, whether that is from a landing page with recipes and usages. Um, it can also be done just by landing on a zooming all the way in on the product to the product display page and telling your brand story or the category story in of itself. So really putting ourselves out, controlling the narrative and really ultimately being that convincing moment for somebody to add to cart and convert. Now, the way that we're looking at this kind of, you know, I'll try to do it. It's, it's, I have a brilliant visual. Obviously, we can't show that right now. But when we think about, you know, winning share as a dairy category, that's really about the promotion and offers and then driving brand awareness. And that can be brand-led messaging. Now, for the state and regions, for the national checkoff programs, we can drive the storytelling by telling the health benefits. We can do inspiration through recipes and usage occasions. We can tell the sustainability story and the dairy farming story. And when ultimately at the highest level, we can drive industry trust. And this is all about with the goal of being super zeroed in on category growth. Um, so there's, there's tons of opportunity. The landscape is consistently evolving in this channel and from a digital space. And I think you know what's brilliant about it is that we're able to lean in and actually chase some of these opportunities and deliver deliver fantastic results. 
say one thing that Bo highlighted, which is when you, when you think about, I'll, I'll go back to TV in the 1980s, you're right. You had three or four channels and you were, it was very controlled watching, you know, that you only had four channels. Now, you know, you right. think about TV and the, today you have 300 channels. Most of the watching's passive. People are sitting there on their cell phone or doing something in the background and TV in the background. This is almost like TV in the old days because when you, if you're going to go shop and shop online, you got you, they force you to see the ads to, to seal the deal, to activate and engage. So it, you do have good access and control. And to Bo's point, because it's so digitally data-driven, you can very target that consumer that you want to reach in different ways, you know, depending on what product you are. You know, let's if, if you're try, like yogurt and you want to try to drive and push dairy smoothies, you can say, I want to, tr- I want people who are starting to build baskets with, uh, you know, spinach and frozen fruit. And then boom, you get, if they add a frozen fruit to their basket or, or they add spinach, you can have dairy pop up in, in that way, like a Greek, you know, uh, tub of uh, Greek yogurt. That's how targeted the digital space is and, and the customization. And we can, and when you, so you think about, there's ways to drive sales and then Bo also highlight, I think, I think it's important. We're also looking at working with how do we drive trust and build our and reinforce to consumers, the great things we're doing in our, in our storytelling perspective. And so you can even say, I want, I want consumers who may have started buying things that were dairy plant-based and I can, re, I can send the messaging that's telling them about all the great things we're doing in environment and then how dairy um, is a perfect thing if you're if you're if they start to test a vegetarian menu, dairy is the ultimate vegetarian thing because it tastes great and it still fits as a vegetarian. You know, if they if they're going to Meatless Monday, we, we you know push sour cream and push all these other great dairy products that fit perfect in there. You know, it could be a vegetarian uh, lasagna. So that's where the, the customization tied to consumer purchase behavior. You can do some great things there. And that's that's how we're going to win long term is looking at consumer behavior and always meeting the consumer need. Uh, you know, we've always won in the past looking where the consumer go, is going. And I think in the future is following where that consumer is going to be and delivering them delightful experiences there. Well, Paul and Bo, I want to thank you both. I think you've filled our shopping carts to the brim with information and examples and really have made this a worthwhile dairy stream for our listeners to enjoy today and really absorb the information. Time goes too quickly, so I just want to kind of wrap this up with your own summation. Obviously, in the last decade or so, the whole grocery shopping experience has changed significantly. So I'm going to have each one of you answer this. In your personal opinions, what predictions do you have for the future of e-commerce? commerce and dairy sales online. And then just as importantly, because there's a lot of farmers listening to this, how can I as a dairy farmer support that space? I think, you know, when you look at it's going to be a continued blurring of the players in the space, you know, know, Walmart isn't buying technology companies that enables them to have a big footprint and, you know, that you can go and walk to the stores but they're also going to have a very digital footprint. They're going to be a media company. They're, they're going to do all the stuff to engage with the consumer digitally. And so I, you'll, I think you're just going to see the technology world to make it easier to, for the consumers to shop and experience the store how, how, you know, in a virtual format. You know, how, how the farmers can uh, play in the space, I just say, tell their story. You know, uh, consumers love and when they when they experience the farm visually and they hear the farmer talk about all the great things they do at the community 
and, and you know, where their product goes, you know, all the great components of, you know, uh, that they, you know, the types of products that come out of the cow in terms of, you know, whether it's cheese and yogurt and cottage cheese and all, all the, the great things. Sometimes the, the farmers are the best spokesmen for the category. I always tell people that the, the more the farmers can get engaged telling the story and, and bringing that consumer, you know, the, the, you know, the, as these major cities get bigger and bigger and the consumers, you know, generation and generation further from the farm, the more we can link them to the farmer and all the great things they do. And that, that's where I think the myth busting comes in because again, um, we, we, ha- we're trying on our corporate side to address the thought leaders and drive the great things we do. But the farmers, as a spokesperson, we've got great ones out there showing the, the things personal, showing the real facts. And that, that's going to position us up for long-term success is them continuing to tell their story. And I'll just add, as we see the shift happening, I think Paul's spot on from the blurring of the lines from traditional retail brick and mortar to a digital space. Mass marketing has given way to kind of call this mass customization for the longest time, which is now giving way to what I'll call hyper-personalization. And as we get closer and closer to a personalized shopping experience and that funnel from how people become aware to familiar to favorable to advocates for our category and our products, we have to be there with every touch point. And as that consistently becomes more blurring, I know Paul brought up the word omni-channel. We do have to have an omni-channel approach. So we can't go all 100% digital into the digital landscape, but we, we do have to play in a right balance of what that looks like across both traditional brick and mortar from being able to touch consumers where they can physically feel, smell, engage their senses to the product in the category, to being driven to all of the multiple touch points that we have consistently and daily across our lives today. How do we, how do we bring dairy not only efficiently into that space, but effectively into that space. And for me, I think one of the, the greatest pieces that you know our, our farmers can do is really engage or communicate up almost like you know guerrilla marketing style is talk to your SRs, talk to your co-ops, and talk to your processors and, and ask questions. Become engaged in the conversation. And as Paul said, I think there we're able to take that step and really bring to life and amplify the messaging of the farmer's story in a relevant, effective, and efficient manner. You've been listening to the voices of Bo Hayden, Vice President of Insight Sales and Trust for Dairy Management Incorporated, and Paul Zeminski, Executive Vice President of Global Innovation Partnerships at Dairy Management Inc. I thank them both for a um, really engaging conversation and some insightful comments that I think made it a dairy interesting dairy stream. So again, thank you both gentlemen. And also a big thank you goes out to our multitasker extraordinaire. That is our producer, editor, and lady of all things that makes this uh, podcast run. That's Joanna Guza. But I also want to thank you for joining us as we shared some insights into dairy market opportunities online, both for today and into the future. I'm Mike Austin. Till we meet again, thanks for joining us on Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us, podcast at dairyforward.com.